You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1111 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Sunday morning now after a late night game in Phoenix. And thank you as always for joining us on the show and also for making the Lockdown Hawks podcast your first listen each and every day. Check us out on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Today's show will break down what became a very disappointing loss for the Hawks uh, in Phoenix by a final score of 121 to 117. The Hawks, it was sort of a back and forth game in a lot of respects um, for most of this one. And then the Hawks owned the third quarter and Phoenix owned the fourth quarter. The Hawks uh, now have lost three straight games, five of their last six games also, and they're one and five on the road this season on, on the way to a four and six overall record. And the third quarter was the highest of highs. The Hawks had their highest scoring quarter of the season with 40 points in the third quarter, taking total control of this game, leading by 12 points in the second half and then leading by seven with about four and a half minutes to go. But from that point forward, it was a 14 to two run by Phoenix to take control of the game. And uh, that was uh, leading to the end result of this four-point loss. The Hawks scored only 19 points in the fourth quarter. So it was, you know, go from the highest scoring quarter of the season to one of the lowest. And uh, that tells the story of what transpired in a lot of ways down the stretch. So, you know, we'll get into everything as we always do on the show. But a disappointing loss, to be sure, for the Hawks in this spot. Um, Not only because of the fact that they were in control, but because of how poorly they've been playing in terms of their early season results at this point in time. Um, Coming into the night as we sort of dive in here, the Suns actually, in addition to just having home court advantage, as they obviously did in this spot, they had actually played, this is their fifth straight game at home, so they've been home and no travel and uh, definitely a rest advantage in some respects for the Suns. With that said, Phoenix actually played this game without DeAndre Ayton, who is probably their third best player um, at this point in time and certainly strongly in the top four and a, a very, very key piece of their team. And the Hawks, I thought, benefited from that throughout this contest, which we'll get into. But Frank Kaminsky on defense is not very good. JaVel McGee got banged up in this game. but uh, So that was an early advantage for the Hawks on paper, particularly because the Hawks were healthy in this spot. John Collins was again listed as questionable for the third straight game. Ended up being a game-time decision for the third straight game, but played and played very well. So the Hawks had everybody available other than Onyeke Kongwu in the spot, whereas the Suns were missing a key piece. But still, even with that, because of the rest and the fact that Phoenix is a high-pedigree team, the Hawks were about five-point underdogs, according to betonline.ag, early in the day. And then once Aiton was ruled out and Collins was ruled in, it was down to about three and a half. But the Hawks were still, quote-unquote, supposed to be underdogs uh, in this in this spot. But, you know, clearly a winnable game because they were in control of it in the second half. And we'll get into everything from the player stuff. If you're newest on the podcast, what we usually do on the show is go through all of the game flow of my observations and things from top to bottom. And at the end of the podcast, we'll sort of wrap it up with some stats and some takeaways and some player observations, player breakdowns, etc. on the show. But before we get into all of that, and there's a lot to touch on from this contest, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Prize Picks. Attention NBA fanatics, I have to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as all the bench players, that only, even if they only record a handful of minutes each and every game. 
PrizePix offers any prop that you can think of. In football, it's yardage to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. In basketball, it's points, it's assists, it's rebounds, and much, much more. And every user that deposits and uses the promo code that we have here will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And that promo code is NBA. One more time, that promo code is NBA. You pick two to five players and an overrunner on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries. You can take the over on LeBron, combine with the under on Mahomes, and the same entry, and that goes for Trey Young as well. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Yes, you can do all of this in under 60 seconds. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use the promo code NBA or go to the App Store right now and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all of the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about the simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like they've never been before, so you can watch your favorite shows, movies, and sports all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So you can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. We will dive in now to what transpired. And as I said earlier, I think briefly, it was a back and forth game for the first half, basically. Um, <laughs> And that was kind of the story. There were little runs back and forth, for sure. Um, the Hawks had kind of a scuffling start on offense other than a Trey Young early three. They got in the paint pretty well, I thought, in the opening minutes, but still were only 2-7 two, two from the floor. Capella missed some bunnies around the rim. His finishing has been a question mark this season so far. Um, Phoenix lost JaVale McGee, their starting center, in this game. He, he, he didn't end up coming back in this contest, but he was out for quite a while. Uh, they had to go to Frank Kaminsky because of an injury to McGee. And the Suns, though, had the first run of the game, an 11-2 push by Phoenix to take the lead. And they hit three threes and actually took up, they actually took six three point attempts in the first four minutes. That was one of the themes of the game is that Phoenix is usually a low three point attempt team, but in this game, they were bombs away and that ended up helping them in the long run playing the math game here. Um, the Hawks had a good look from Bogdanovich out of the timeout, but they had back to back turnovers. They only had nine points in the first six minutes and it, like it might be one of those nights offensively. But from that point forward, for the next, I don't know, two full quarters, two and a half full quarters, the Hawks were very good on offense. Rotationally, though, same thing as basically the last few nights. You know, Herder and Gallinari as the first subs. Um, Herder had a jump shot right away when he came in the game. Then it was Reddish and Jang together. And then Lou Williams is back in point guard yet again. Uh, a full bench unit for only a very small amount of time, though. You know, one of the things that I have not liked this season is the full bench units. And in this game, it was a lot of four bench units followed by Clint Capella. And essentially, Gorgie Jang played about three minutes in the entire game, and only about a minute and a half of that was with the full bench unit before he came out of the game, and they brought Capella back in. The Hawks' first run, though, came with a 10-2 push late in the first to go up by 19-17 margin. They were able to sort of weather the storm. I thought it was going to be a good sign for the Hawks because they played you know, scufflingly early in this game offensively, but ended up kind of weathering that and being able to hang on and play decently. In fact, took the lead on a Danilo Gallinari 50-footer at the buzzer at the end of the first quarter. And it was a weird one that Gallo just kind of casually like lined it up and there wasn't a lot of defensive resistance. And not that he was likely to go in, but it seemed like that was a pretty high percentage look from that distance, given all the factors in play and ended up going in. And the Hawks take the small lead at the end of the first quarter, despite some, um, I would say, shaky offense. The Suns were bowling away from three, but other than that, a decent little baseline to start the game off. 
Um, in the second quarter, I thought Herter and Gallinari both started off very well, um, asserting themselves on the, off the bench. It seemed to be a, a pretty targeted thing about Jeng's minutes. Like, for instance, um, he didn't play the second half again this game, and they brought Capella back for a, you know, for a second stint and then took him out again for a second rest with Collins at center both times. So it's uh, noteworthy to me that it, even though they're playing a 10-man rotation, it's basically 9.5 right now with Gorgie Jang, and they're playing Collins a lot more as a backup five, which I'm on board with for the, for the most part. Um, Kaminsky had it going for the Suns. You know, I will say on the whole in this game, Kaminsky probably helped the Hawks in that in that he's a pretty bad defensive player, but he did have 14 points in the first half, which uh, certainly helped Phoenix to key their offense at one point in time. Um, the Hawks got hot late in the first with a couple of, sorry, three threes in a row from um, Collins, Young, and Magnanovich, but Phoenix was still scoring as well, so it's kind of a more offense-focused quarter, but very similar in terms of the overall performance by both teams. The Hawks were down by one point at the break. There were 11 ties in the first half and a bunch of lead changes. Very, very close, staying back and forth, back and forth. The Hawks shot it decently in the first half of 14 free throw attempts as well, but they had eight assists and eight turnovers, which is not what you want to see, obviously, for passing situations. Um, offensive rebound rate was down for the Hawks in this contest. They had a good offensive quarter in the second quarter for sure, and they actually had three guys in double digits with Collins, Young, and Bogdanovich. But um, Phoenix was bombed away from three, as I said before, and they actually had the advantage at the, um, near the rim as well. Points in the paint went to Phoenix both in the first half and the full game here. Um, but, you know, defensively, the Hawks were okay at times in the half court. They switched less in this game, which we'll get into again later on with Capella and some analysis there. But, you know, it wasn't the worst half in the world being down by one, given that they did not play, I don't, I don't think, incredibly well in that first half. Uh, but the third quarter was the high watermark for the Hawks. As I said before, 40 points, the season high for a quarter for the Hawks. And it started off with a great possession out of halftime. A, a three by Bogdanovich that was wide open. Nice creation from Trey. A bogey also, you know, kind of uh, got clearly got clearly fouled at one point and kind of blew up um, at the official. Went pretty nuts, actually. It was one of those, you know, officiating became a sort of a theme of this game late in the contest. But... Um, Bogdanovich went so crazy that he almost intentionally hacked someone in the backcourt to still argue the foul call. And almost like he was trying to get a technical foul, but I think it's one of those situations where the ref kind of knew that he missed it and didn't want to punish him twice, but uh, that was uh, noteworthy to me. In fact, Bogdanovich was also jawing with Devin Booker early in the third quarter. Um, there was a take foul by Booker that uh, that Bogey did not like at all. It was reviewed, actually, for a flagrant. It was not called a flagrant, but uh, it was a little bit high, let's just say. Um... Elsewhere in the first, uh, in the third quarter, I should say, uh, Capella had been struggling pretty badly on offense um, throughout this contest, really the season so far. But I thought he was better in the second half, and also I thought he had a really nice possession in the third quarter that I sort of made a note of. He got an offensive rebound, uh, could have forced it back up as he's always, uh, I should say always, as he's often want to do. Didn't do that. Um, passed it out, set a nice screen, got the ball back, and then found a corner shooter with Collins. It was actually a very nice possession. It didn't score, but. Um, not always does Capella have to keep shooting as he gets the ball back. Uh, he was not efficient in this game, but at least that one to uh, sort of pass that on as a positive moment for him. The Hawks, though, you know, first half of the third quarter, both teams were hot. The Hawks had 20 points and couldn't make a dent because the Suns were scoring every possession, basically. But then the rest of that, the rest of the way after the mid-quarter timeout, that's the longer break for a TV timeout, the Hawks were awesome the rest of the quarter, like the last six minutes or so, last five minutes or so of the third quarter. A 20-6 to run for the Hawks, their best stretch of the entire game. Trey Young got very hot. He had 12 points, uh, plus a three-pointer by Collins in that stretch to kind of engineer that run. Trey was absolutely dialed in, hit a long three, um, good passing. Um, Collins had a nice pass out of a short roll at one point. 
and they took their largest lead of the night with tw- at 12 at the end of that push. The Hawks were up to, for the game, actually, through three quarters, about a, about a 120 offensive rating, which, given how they started, that kind of tells you how hot they were in the third quarter. Um, Trey had 14 and 6 in that period by himself, uh, taking advantage of Kaminsky on the perimeter, for sure. Honestly, it might have been his best quarter of the season. It was definitely on the short list of his best quarters of the season through 40 quarters of play. Um, he was very, very good. And the Hawks, as, as a team, shot 7 of 12 from 3. Bunch of good looks. Collins at 8 points as well. They, they actually played Young and Collins the entire fourth quarter, which I want to mention because they had to play the bench at the start of the fourth quarter, which mattered in this contest. But the Suns shot 50% from the floor in the third quarter and lost the quarter by 13 points, which tells you how good the Hawks played on offense in the third period. Now, the fourth was the exact opposite. Uh, Broadly, the Suns outscored the Hawks 35-19 in the fourth period. Um, They actually did not go back to Gorgi Jang at all in the second half. It was Capella with the bench to open the fourth quarter. But um, I would say, as usual this season, the bench was not effective. Um, It was a 9-2 run by the Suns out of the gate to get back back within seven points. The bench was bad on both ends of the floor once again. The only buckets actually they scored with that unit were a couple of contested jump shots, long twos from Lou and Gallo. Not the greatest process in the world with that group. And then defensively it was pretty bad as well. They brought Trey back in um, after probably earlier than they wanted to, I would say, in this game. He ended up playing 39 minutes which is a lot on the first game of a road trip, but given the way that it was teetering, I thought that was probably the right move, and you kind of had to stick with them at that point forward because it was still a close game. Um, the Suns start chipping away, basically from there. The Hawks had three empty trips in a row, and then Chris Paul hit a three, and then they fouled Landry Shamit on a three to get back within three points with 5.30 to go. And at that point, your lead is basically gone, and you're in a coin flip situation. Now, the Hawks did take an eight-point lead again. Um, they went small with Collins at center, which I actually liked. Um because Capello was not necessarily needed in this game where, with the way the Suns are playing, and that's a better offensive group, and it ended up working pretty well at the beginning. Um, I will say this. I would have played Kevin Herter over Cam Reddish um, for the entire stretch, but, and we'll come back to this later on. I thought it was kind of baffling that McMillan stuck with Cam on offense-only possessions. There were two situations after timeouts where he could have gone to Herter or even Gallinari, one of those guys who are just better offensive players right now. Um, and they, they didn't do that, so that, that was pretty interesting to me. But regardless, they, they went small, um, and the first two possessions, sorry, first three possessions actually, was, was just high pick and roll with Young and Collins, and it's amazing, amazing how well that looks when those guys run pick and roll together, which is probably their best unit. Um, they might be the best pick and roll combination in the entire league. That's how good they are when they play that way. But a pick and roll for a three-point play, then a stop. They ran it again for another layup, and then they ran it again, and they flocked to Collins, who hit a, and then Trey hit a floater. So, three possessions, seven points, uh, not a coincidence, I would say. From there, they kind of ran that a little bit less down the stretch, but um, Booker hit a three uh, to get, make it a two point game. The Hawks went empty there. Um, there was a, a no call that was particularly egregious. There were a bunch of officiating uh, either blunders or no calls or whatever, however you want to describe that in the second half of this game. The one that I think st- probably stood out the most was this one. Chris Paul pretty clearly fouled DeAndre Hunter two or three times on a possession. It wasn't called, and then it went to a break for a timeout for Phoenix, but Trey got a technical foul going into that break. Um, I will say this. It didn't end up burning them because he missed the free throw, Booker did, but you can't have a technical foul there. Uh, Trey, after the game was asked about it, said he kind of uh, – it seemed like he was surprised he got a technical foul. Um you know, I understand that there's some frustration there. and Like I said, it was a bad no-call. It should have been a foul, but you can't get a tee there. Uh, it didn't bite them, again, which is uh, fortunate for the Hawks, but a bad situation to get a technical foul in a two-point game with three minutes to go. Um, after that timeout, though, 
it was uh, a lot of back and forth. So a couple of empty trips from Booker and Young. Booker then had a jump shot that was actually ruled a three originally, then overturned on a review to tie the game with about two minutes to go. Um, from there, it looked like Trey got fouled, and it was not called a, a theme of this crunch time. Uh, but then the Suns turned it over. Bogey had a jumper for the lead, which is uh, the last lead the Hawks had, really. Then Booker actually bailed them out again, uh, missed another free throw. So he actually missed two out of three free throws with about a minute and 20 to go. A um, couple empty trips from there, including a decent look by Hunter. They needed to score. You know, the Hawks had the ball with up one, and they had a prime chance to score. And you go up by three or by four, just kind of missed a couple of opportunities there. Then they lost Kaminsky, just kind of a total breakdown defensively, gave up a dunk to Kaminsky flowing down the lane um, with about a minute to go. No, sorry, 45 seconds to go. And then Trey got fouled with 35 seconds to go, but it was a non-shooting foul. So the Hawks called timeout. Again, down one, 35 seconds to go. You're in a decent position. They could go two for one. They tried to go two for one there, which is the right thing to do. You know, maximize your odds. You don't want to just do it for no reason, but if you have if you have time and you have a creator like Trey, you want to try to get the two for one there down by one. Uh, Trey took a, well, what I would say is not a great look on a pull-up three. It's one that he can make. And honestly, just the look itself was not my least favorite thing. I think I thought it was probably just fine. People were mad about that shot. I really wasn't too bothered by it because of the situation. You know, in a normal situation, if it's not a two-for-one and that's the shot you get out of a timeout, it's not great. But I think the only thing I would say is that he kind of missed Collins, I thought, on uh, on a slip to the rim. It could have been a pretty effective drop-off pass for a bucket. But the shot was not the worst thing. Uh, he didn't make it, which is uh, worth worth noting. But the disaster happened after that. So right out of a timeout again, you got to know that if you don't score there, you've got to foul. And the Hawks didn't foul. Um, the the long three was missed, and then it was three or four passes, and nobody would even really attempt to take the take foul. Um, but at the end of the day, you cannot give up a layup there, and that's what happens. So the Hawks go from down one to down three. And yeah, if you foul an NBA player, they're likely to make two, or at least some likely to make two. But it's more likely that they miss one than they than it is that they actually miss a layup. So that's a pivotal point loss. Um, and then you call timeout there. You're down three with 19 seconds to go. And this is the first time out of the two that they did not go with offensive personnel. I mean, they kind of did. They're going small with Collins. But, again, I would have gone with Herter or Gallinari at an offense possession down by three over Cam. I think both those guys are better options right now today offensively than Reddish. But regardless, um, the weird shot, though, of the night was probably that three by Bogdanovich. That was an air ball. It was kind of quickly forced. That was the uh, the worst shot selection moment of the down the stretch. I thought that was way worse than the two-for-one shot by Trey. Um, regardless, I'm not really sure what happened there, but it was a breakdown and not the shot you wanted in that spot. Then they had to foul, and that was the end of that. Um, so as a marker, the Hawks were up 113 to 106 with about 420 to go. And from that point on, it was a 14-2 Suns run. The Hawks just failed to execute offensively. A couple good looks, you know, not, not every possession was bad, but they just could not get the ball to go in the basket. A couple, a couple of uh, hiccups as well along the way. And for the fourth quarter, the Hawks scored 19 points on 8 of 29 from the floor and 0 of 7 from 3. So, of, I mean, the 0 of 7 from 3 speaks for itself, but uh, even if you take out the threes, they were 8 of 22 on twos, which is very, very bad. So an offensive breakdown, just a kind of a tail of two quarters thing. It's funny, if you look at the stats for the entire second half, for the Hawks' offense, they're actually quite good because they scored 40 points in the third quarter. But uh, the way that it laid out did not work out well for the Hawks. And we'll have uh, much more on all of this stuff in a second. But before we get into the more broad observations for the full game, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them. But maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. 
This is something that's totally delicious. I feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most built bars have only 130 calories and four grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built bar. Go for a raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at Built.com. Okay, and we'll dive in now to the observations from this contest. And I will say this, offensively, the overall product for the full game was average or better. Uh, they scored about 114 points per 100 possessions, which is above their average for the season. It's above the league average for the season. It's near the top of the league for the season. So I know the fourth quarter was brutal, and I'm fresh to say that. I just talked about it for a while. But the full game offense was not a huge problem in this game. Um, they still took too many mid-range attempts, which has been a theme the entire season. They took 44 shots that were non-paint twos compared to only 20 in the restricted area and 32 threes. They did have, uh, you know, 10, sorry, 11 possessions in which they were um, fouled once at the free throw line, which factors in a little bit to the, to the low rim attempts. But um, the Suns took as many free throw attempts as the Hawks did, uh, I guess only two, only two fewer, so only one trip fewer. And uh, also the Suns are one of the fewest three-point shooting teams in the league in terms of attempts. And they took 10 more threes, and they shot better at the rim. So it's still too many mid-rangers in my mind. Uh, they went in at a higher level in this game, especially from floater range, but uh, still something to keep an eye on in the future. Um, the Hawks did shoot well from three, 39%. That's totally acceptable, of course. They did have more off the rebounds, and, and they had 14 of those and only 12 turnovers. That's a pretty good ratio as well, so you'll take all that. But only 18 assists. The, the ball movement was not incredible in this in this game, you know, Trey had 13 assists by himself, and he earned them. He was fantastic for most of this game. But the rest of the team, only five assists, is not what you want to see. Um, defensively, the Hawks allowed the Suns to score about 118 points per 100 possessions, which is bad, uh, very obviously. The Suns shot almost 70% on two-point attempts. And, yes, they have some interesting mid-range shooters. You know, Booker and, um, and Paul in particular are great in the mid-range. Kaminsky was pretty hot in this game. So there's a little bit of noise there. But the Hawks did allow them to take 10 more threes than, than the Hawks did. Um, and that's not what you want because, again, again, Phoenix is a team that does not take a lot of threes. So they were, uh, and they were all good looks. I mean, they weren't like forcing a ton of shots. And they also outscored the Hawks 48 to 32 in the paint. So that combination is uh, a substandard, to be sure. And the Suns were hot also uh, around the rim. Um, McMillan talked about the fact that they kind of lost their poise the way, the way he said it in the fourth quarter. He used the term, quote, emotionally drunk end quote, to refer to the Hawks at the end of the game. He didn't seem to love the shot selection down the stretch. Um, you know, as I talked about before, I think the only one that was really bad was that Bogdanovich shot um, at the very, very end of the game. But he talked and sort of harped on them getting um, official, sort of attract, distracted by the officials. It's been a theme that Nate has been talking about for a while. Did they lose the game because of that? No. You know, the one technical foul was, was actually a wash because they missed the free throw. And the Hawks were definitely bothered by it. Um, there were some bad calls. I think the Hawks got the short end of the stick, officiating-wise, in this game. Um, but McMillan didn't seem to like the way they handled any of that stuff, you know, the T, etc. Um, 
overall, though, like he seemed frustrated in some ways. You know, it's a bad loss, so I get that. Um, but nothing else that was uh, terribly noteworthy, I don't think, from his pr- his pr- press conference after the game, and that the players sort of the same thing. You know, it's a, fr- a bunch of frustration. Um, you know, Trey talked about the fact that you know they were frustrated in some ways by the officiating, but not that that was uh, a huge part of the uh, of the loss and what transpired. Um, we'll leave that there for now and just say, you know, again, overall, this is a it's it's weird. If you just tell me before the night starts that the Hawks lose by four points to the Suns, that's essentially what they're supposed to be doing in terms of the projection in the betting market. Um, it's worth remembering that after watching this entire game. I think people that did not watch the game, I might be listening to the podcast right now. It's definitely a late night game, so I, I get that. Um, you might wake up to a four point loss and kind of wonder why everybody's so mad. And I do understand that because the Hawks were a four point underdog basically uh, in this game. But the way that they lost it in the fourth quarter is. You know, we saw that last year. We saw that when things reached a fever pitch with the previous regime, it's because they were losing fourth quarter leads. And that's what it, it will drive everybody crazy when that happens. And this is one of those nights when it happened that way. And it, it's a bad loss through that lens. And we'll come back to uh, looking ahead to the to the uh, rest of the trip in a second. But uh, worth noting, this is not the way they want to start the uh, road trip. Player-wise, uh, there were some highs. There were some lows. Only 10 guys played. Like Again, uh, it's really only 9.5 uh, with Gorgie Jang getting three minutes. He was uh, not a huge factor. He had a steal and uh, two rebounds and an assist. Actually, he made a couple plays, but nothing nothing crazy. A lot of attention being paid to backup point guard these days. Um, I know I've talked about that at length this season. Uh, Lou Williams was the guy again tonight. Played nine minutes. Really only two stints. Um, I don't think he was very good. I don't think he was just terrible, but did not have a lot of juice. It was 2 of 5 from the floor. Defensively, it's uh, an adventure for sure. I'm on record. I'm, if you're a new listener, though, I might, I might as well say it again. I think DeLon Wright is a better player than Lou is right now. I think he should be playing. I don't know why he's not playing. Uh, Chris Kirchner of The Athletic asked Nate McMillan after the game why DeLon um, was not playing. And the answer, sorry, was not in the rotation. And the answer in, in full from Nate was because Lou's in the rotation. That is what he said. Uh, I started to get the audio, but it was not of, of the greatest quality. Obviously, it's very, very short. So that's the reason why uh, you know I didn't mention that in terms of the actual audio. But the follow-up from Chris was uh, him asking what he, what DeLon has to do to get reinserted back in the rotation. And Nate's full quote was, quote, be patient, end quote. So that doesn't really tell you anything, but I want to at least pass that along to you. Uh, I have been consistent on this. I think DeLon is a better player and a better fit, honestly, for what the Hawks need. Um, Lou... I don't want to make too sweeping of a uh, sort of, I don't know, ruling right now through 10 games. He does not look very good at this moment in time. And for a 35-year-old, it's ten, it's a 10-game stretch. It might have a bad 10-game 10, 10 stretch, but there's uh, at least a chance that he might just be over Hulu. I'm not sure at this point in time, but I will be going back to DeLon Wright. I already would have, honestly, but we'll see how that goes for Monday. Uh, Kevin Herter, I thought, was pretty good in this game. Probably should have played more. 19 minutes, 7 points, 6 rebounds, had an assist, was plus 13. Uh, it's kind of funny. Plus 13 in a 4-point loss for Herter. It's not, be, it's not all because of him, but I thought he played well. He was aggressive when he came in in the first half. I thought he defended adequately. Um, yeah, I would have played him more. That's kind of the simplest explanation for that. Um, Reddish played 26 minutes, had 10 points, 3, three rebounds, and a steal. Um, no, no assists and no turnovers in this game. Minus 5. 3-5 from the floor, 4-4 four, four from the free throw line. So not terribly efficient. Uh, 10 points on 11 shooting possessions is not terrible, nor is it good. 3-6 um, on twos for Cam. Gallinari had 10 points in 23 minutes. He was more efficient than Reddish was, but uh, similar in terms of the overall impact stat lines. They're obviously very different players. But Gallo was being picked on defensively. That is worth pointing out for sure, is that he was a target, at least for what Phoenix was trying to do defensively. Um, to the starters, 
from there as we try to keep this thing brisk late into the night here. Um, DeAndre Hunter had a, had a rough one on offense. He was 1 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 2 from 3. He had been very hot with his jump shot before tonight, so obviously some regression in the offing, but only had 2 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, and a steal. I mean, I would have even listened to an argument that they probably should have been playing. Um, you know, I talked about this earlier. They should have been playing Herter, over, Herter or Gallinari over Reddish. I would have not even been upset if they had gone to Gallo over Hunter um, on the offensive possessions only down the stretch. Obviously, Hunter's defense is uh, in a different stratosphere from Gallo, but if they're just trying to score only with the game on the line, I would not have minded uh, Gallo in there for Hunter either. Um, from there, we go, to, we go to Clint Capella. So Capella has been getting picked on a lot by Hawks fans, and I've, I've mentioned over and over again he's not been quite as good this year, so that's worth pointing out too. Uh, nine points, 13 rebounds in this game. He's minus 12. He was 4 of 11 from the floor including I think he missed his first four shots, and they were all at the rim. Uh, Capella's offense has been a struggle this season, no question about it. Um, I will just say a couple things here. I would stress that, you know, I saw people like talking about benching him and trading him and all this stuff tonight. I know that's just fan stuff, and I understand that. Um, number one, you're not benching him. He's too good to do that. Uh, number two, you literally can't trade him. They gave him an extension. C- Capella, by the way, cannot be traded this season. His, uh, his six-month date from the extension is after the trade deadline. So he cannot be traded even if they wanted to. And the thing is, like Capella, I know I lauded him all year last year. There were moments last season offensively in particular where it was not great for Capella last year. Um, he, he has fallen off offensively from where he was at his peak in Houston. Um, you can definitely tell who watched him play in Houston because there's always like, well, he's always been a bad finisher. It's like, no, he used to be a great finisher actually in Houston. Um, still, you know, he's capable. He's better than this offensively. I will, I'm confident in that. Um, and, you know, it's worth pointing out, like, you can't just write off a guy after 10 games when he was a top 50 player in the league last year, which is what Capella was. And also, as we pointed out at length on the show, uh, last year, he started off slow as well, rounded into form and was much better from there. So maybe it's just a slow start at this point in time. He also had the, uh, you know, had the offseason stuff with the Achilles, etc. So uh, I think he'll be better in the future. And also, I thought he was better defensively in this game. Uh, he wasn't quite to his dominant level of last year, but they switched less, which I think helps him. Played more drop coverage. Um, I thought he was okay defensively. Um, you know, but his okay is still better than most people's good. Um, but I thought he was actually better on that end of the floor tonight. Offensively, it was not very good, but defensively, I thought he made some strides. Bogdanovich had an up and down game. He actually had 18 points and seven re- seven rebounds, so that's a pretty solid box score stuff. He was actually minus 17 though. He was on he was on the floor for a bunch of the uh, runs for Phoenix, um, and not he didn't shoot it great either. Only three of six on twos. Um, four of eleven on threes is totally fine. That's actually getting up. I'm actually encouraged by that three point volume for Bogdanovich. I want him to shoot more threes, if anything, um, than he has this season. But defensively, it was not his best. I don't think defensively he's been very good this year at all. I actually have defended his defense in the past. I think he's actually can be pretty solid because he's stocky and strong and kind of knows where to be. But I think defensively this year he's been lagging behind to this point. He's been one of the issues on that end of the floor. Um, but offensively, you know, it wasn't his best nor his worst. He got some shots up, and you know, the late, the late night, one, the late game one, I should say, um, was certainly not his uh, best shot, <laughs> uh, to say the least. He was asked about it actually after the game. I'm trying to find it as I'm talking, as I've uh, put it in a different section of my notes. Okay, uh, Bogdanovich was asked about the shot at the end. He said he saw the rim and uh, he missed it bad. But sometimes that happens, and he can do better. Obviously, for the next time, you have to move forward. So he, you know, he basically said it wasn't a bad look in his mind. Like anytime, he, anytime he sees the rim, I think he's confident enough to shoot it. It just didn't go in. It didn't come close to going in. So there you go on that. And the two guys who carried the offense for most of the night were Young and Collins, as that often happens. I thought Trey was, you know, masterful in the third quarter. I thought he had a good game overall. Thirty-one points, thirteen assists. 
They have 66 turnovers, which is uh, you know half of the team's output there. But when you have 13 assists, it's not so bad. Um, shot the ball okay. Um, six of 14 on twos is uh, you know below where you would want him. But four of nine on threes is good. Got to the line for eight eight attempts, made seven of them. So I think a pretty strong game for Trey overall offensively. I think defensively, it was not one of his better nights, particularly late. I think he had some breakdowns uh, that were contributing to the uh, overall mess that happened in the fourth quarter. But I think it's still a pretty good game for Trey. And um, in his defense, he played 39 minutes in this game, including, you know, I think it was like close to 20 in the fourth, maybe 21 in the fourth, uh, sorry, in the second half overall. So he was probably gassed on some level too, but I thought he played pretty well in this game, even by his standards. And then John Collins has just been awesome all year long. It's be uh, it's been you know I guess sort of uh, a nightly occurrence at this point. But John had 26 and 10. He was efficient. Nine 12 from the floor, three or four from three, five or five from the free throw line. He played good defense. Uh, one turnover. Didn't have any assists, which is the only thing that's uh, sort of a knock on him here. But uh, I think he's been the best player this year. You know, obviously you would take Trey over over Collins in a in a, in a draft, and I think that Trey is still a better player. But this season, through ten games, the Hawks MVP has been John Collins. I think fairly clearly in my mind. Um, so you know, as we sort of did an exercise earlier this week, if you missed it on the podcast, I did sort of a mailbag exercise before these last couple of games about you know who had been playing at their baseline or below their baseline or above their baseline. And Collins is really the only guy on the roster right now that I think I could definitively say has been above their baseline. Uh, I I had Cam up there as well, and that was before he had three bad games in a row. So he's probably closer back down to his regular baseline at this point. So I think Collins has been the one guy who's been a legitimate standout compared to his expectations so far this year. And um, unfortunately, the Hawks are still only four and six, but he's been playing great and uh, a nice way to end that on a positive note on this evening. Um, All right, last thing. The schedule is not going to get any easier for the Hawks. As we talked about for a while now, the Hawks have this grueling road trip on the horizon. They play Monday against the Warriors on the road. Uh, the Warriors have been red hot this season um, to the point where that is going to be, you know, it was already a game where you would circle it as not the easiest matchup. You know, Steph Curry is Steph Curry. But uh, the Warriors have actually been better than, ex- than expected so far. They actually have the best record in the NBA. Yeah, in the NBA right now. They're 7-1. and one. On the year, they have a plus 13 or 14 net rating. They've been playing out of their minds. They're also uh, at home in that game. And sure, that's going to be a tough spot for the Hawks in a lot of ways. Um, From there, they have to go. uh, And I I will note, it is a back-to-back for the Warriors. Now, it's a home back-to-back, but it is a back-to-back. So that's that's a potentially neutralizing thing where the Hawks have the day off on Sunday. Where's the Rockets play? Sorry, where's the Warriors play the Rockets on Sunday? Um, From there, they have to travel. It's a 10 p.m. Eastern time game on Monday in San Francisco, and they have to play a 9 o'clock game in Utah. So that's a tough back-to-back. Travel-wise, logistically, you lose an hour. Uh, Utah, with altitude, Utah is very, very good. So, you know, honestly, regular season-wise, you could argue that might be the hardest game on paper that the Hawks have all season long, is the second night of a back-to-back in Utah. Now, they, they just play the Jazz and lost to the Jazz uh, without, without Donovan Mitchell. Um, if Mitchell plays in that game, clearly uh, clearly that would be even more difficult. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, Jake, I'm, I'm not saying it's, this is definitive, but if you put all the factors in play of back-to-back in Salt Lake City, short turnaround with even, you know, you lose an hour between games, if Utah is healthy, it doesn't get much harder than that on paper. So, doesn't mean they can't win that game or either one of these games, but two very, very tough matchups for the Hawks on Monday and Tuesday. And then they actually have two days off on the road trip, which is not uh, not always going to happen. And then they, they play uh, – the last game on the, on the trip is on Friday, next Friday, in Denver. So, uh, 
final stuff here, the Hawks 4-6, and 1-5 on the road, and uh, uphill battle the next three nights. So we'll see. The sky's not falling. It's, it's 10 games. I will be the first to tell you that this is not a loss that they wanted to have by any means. But I will also say I think the Hawks actually showed a lot of stuff that was better in this game. I think if you asked me if the Hawks played – better tonight than they have at a lot of times this year, I would tell you yes. They played a lot better tonight than they did against Utah. I thought they were better tonight than they were against Brooklyn. Um, definitely against Philly. Definitely against the, the first Wizards game. They were better tonight than they hadn't been in some wins. I think they played better tonight than they did in, in, the, in the Pelicans win early in the season. So, you know, was this their best game of the year? No. Was it their worst game of the year? Definitely not. And, uh, you know, if you want to be encouraging, you probably could be if you wanted to find some uh, optimism heading into Sunday and the rest of the week. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. I really, really appreciate it. Please take a second, if you've not already done this already, to subscribe to the podcast via your platform of choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave five-star ratings, reviews, all that fun stuff. Please share the show on Twitter. Um, tell your friends about it. Send them a link. We have a link tree where you can get to any podcast platform. If you can just search us as well on any platform, we should be there. If we're not there, let me know that. I will get it fixed. Thank you, for, as always, again, everybody, for listening to the show, and we'll see you after the game on Monday evening.